Welcome to the Restoration Church Weekly Podcast. As you listen, we pray that you are inspired by today's podcast to pursue your God-given calling to reach just one more. Thanks for listening. Hey, good morning. Good to see you. My name is Nate Gagney. I'm the lead pastor of Restoration Church, and uh, we're one church meeting in multiple places in New Hampshire today. So to everybody in Milton and Plymouth and Bethlehem, uh, we're glad to be together. Dover, will you welcome them toward this time? We got, a, we got a packed out room here today, and for everybody who was here last week, thank you for being here. Thank you for being a part of, uh, of this series. And we're in this series titled, We Are Restoration. And uh, if you're new to the church, we want to, we, you know, we kind of been letting you in and, and showing you some of, the, some of the distinctives of Restoration Church, why we believe, how we act, how we function. And uh, last week I, I preached the message, we must change for the gospel. And it was talking about our church corporately, but obviously internally as individuals, when, when I have my life and I look at scripture and scripture tells me to do something different than what I'm doing with my life, I adjust my life. I yield my preferences, my heart, my, my you know, the things I like. I, I yield all those things towards scripture, trusting Jesus, trusting our heavenly father that he knows that he wants and, uh, and, and that he knows what is best and he knows how he's designed me and he knows the path that leads to the abundant overflowing life that he promised in John 10.10. 10. Now, um, we change for the gospel, our church changes for the gospel so that the gospel will spread. The gospel, I remind you, is the good news of Jesus and we'll, we'll define that for you later in this message, but Every time we adjust and change, whether it's an org chart, adding a new location, adjusting our music style, adding new leadership, um, new curriculum, new Bible studies, every time we change and adjust how we're doing it, it is always with the intent and the purpose that the gospel will spread and the kingdom of God will expand. We want to be kingdom builders, not just with our giving, but with everything that we do as a church. During our conversation last week, we talked about the Great Commission, and we're gonna focus in on this a lot today. We're not just to receive the good news, and exciting morning, we had, uh, service hasn't even ended, we had a salvation already this morning at church, which is so great. But we are not just to receive the good news, but we're commissioned to share the good news. We're not just to receive the good news, we are commissioned to share the good news. Now, what does commission mean? This is a group of people who are officially charged with a particular function. So every person who's given their life to Jesus, has put their trust in Jesus, is then commissioned, appointed, tasked by him to share his message and his good news with other people. Now, if you've got your Bibles, open up to Matthew 28. This is the passage 
where the Great Commission is. And I, I want us to read this. If you've never underlined this in your Bible before, I want you to underline it now because this is a pretty big deal. This is a big deal. Many of you have read or heard or memorized John 3.16, for God so loved the world. Well, this is now the, the, the response to that, Matthew 28, and we'll start reading at verse number 16. And it says this, then the 11 disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some of them doubted. And let me just connect the dots here in. Um, uh, just to our lighting tech, I don't, could you turn off that fan on stage for me? That will help me. Um, the, the, the sequence of events here is Jesus has died, he has resurrected from the grave, and now he's been appearing to people. He's been showing up, and, and to over 500 people, he's revealed himself after his resurrection. And now here's another crowd gathered. Uh, under the teaching of Jesus, Jesus has told him another ahead of time, hey, you're going to travel to this place. I'm going to meet you there. And even in the midst of that, there are still some people doubting him. I mean, they are seeing him face to face. They are still doubting him. At youth group, our, our teenagers this month have been uh, doing a series called Unreasonable Doubt. And the very first week was saying Doubt, doubting's not bad because if we, if we don't like just use our doubts as a reason to bail out. Our doubts can actually make our faith stronger. So these, these people are doubting. That's not necessarily a bad thing, but you know, they don't want to get conned. They don't want to get tricked. Um, you know, they don't really understand everything that's happening, but yet they're there and they're participating. Listen, if you're here at service today, you don't, you don't know me. Uh, I don't know you. You don't know my background. You don't know my motives. Here's my motives. I want you to meet Jesus but you may still doubt. No problem with that. You can doubt and come here. You can doubt and participate. You can doubt and be a worship night. You can doubt and be in every class, every activity, everything that we have going on, and we welcome you. Because what we know, if you keep investigating even though you doubt, we know what you'll find out, that Jesus is who he says he is. He's our risen savior. He is the son of God, and he loves you very, very much. Now, keep reading in verse number 18. Jesus shows up and he tells his disciples, I've given all authority in heaven. I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Teach new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This is the great commission. This is the assignment on your life. This is the assignment on our church. In fact, this is the assignment on every church and every Christian around the world today and until he returns. When we wake up every morning, this is our task. But many don't know that, many don't participate in that, many are afraid of that, but this is why we are here. And at Restoration Church, 
We verbalize the Great Commission with three words. If you know it, you can say it with me. It starts with the letter J. Just one more. This is our assignment. When is this done? When are we done? When do we retire? When do we give up? When is it, is it uh, accomplished? Well, it's another one. Uh, praise the Lord. Someone gave their life to Jesus before service even started today out in the, in the Dover lobby. Praise the Lord for that. Amen. When, when, when not like, perfect? <laughs> We've hit our quota now for the millennia. Looks like most of the seats are full. Looks like we're good. That is never our prayer because we don't want to keep this good news to ourselves. You know, when you've got good news, how many people do you want to tell? You want to keep telling anybody who will listen. This is our prayer. Now, there's a couple agencies that have done, a, a, you know, they're always doing different studies on the church. And the Barner Institute is one of those that you may have heard of. And one of their recent studies showed that 51% of Christians, so those are people who are identifying themselves as Christian. I believe in Jesus, I'm a Christian, I go to a Christian church, I'm a Christian. 51% of Christians had not heard of the Great Commission. So you would be like, Pastor Nate, you talked about it last week, you talked about it this week, it seems like you're always talking about it. We get it, we get it, we know. Listen, we don't know. We may in the room know, but 51% of us don't know. And, and we've got to know this. This is a pretty big deal. All right, this is important. When Jesus is about to return to heaven, and he's saying, here's your assignment now, we've got to know what this is. And of the, of the 49% who do know, who've heard of it, only 17% of those who have heard of the Great Commission could, all, that could also say they knew what it meant. So last week I talked about the Great Commission, so you've heard of it. But today I want to make sure you know what it means, and not just what it means, but how you can live that out in your life. And I think that can be the harder part. Like, okay, I get it, make disciples, I know, I know what that means. I have no idea, Pastor Nate, how to do that. Now, sharing the good news of Jesus, sharing the gospel of Jesus. I've been saying this since the first week I became lead pastor at Restoration Church. This is our primary earthly responsibility. The only reason we are still here on this earth is because Jesus is waiting for another person to give their life to him. The only reason he hasn't returned yet is because he's waiting for another person to receive salvation. And you can read that in the book of Peter. It is the primary reason why we're here. And if we don't know what it is or what it means or how to do it, then we should probably figure it out. And I'm not trying to beat you up or put you down or make you feel guilty. I'm just saying, pay attention this morning. <laughs> pay attention this morning, all right? Pay attention. You need to be paying attention like a fifth grader in puberty class. <laughs> now listen to me. In October, we're taking, there's a group of 10 of us, and we're going on a Cuba mission trip, and the objective for this Cuba mission trip is to build a church. This is the great commission for this trip, all right? This is the, our objective, build a church. Now, we can go to Cuba, 
We can look at all the old Chevy cars. We can smell other people smoking the cigars. We can dance at all the church services and return a week later, and you can ask us, how did building the churches go? And we can respond, we had a great time dancing and singing. Wait a minute, how did building the churches go? We loved the old cars. So cool. You should have heard it when Mitchell McFarlane was singing Havana. (laughs) But wait a minute, weren't you supposed to be building a church? And then for that team of Ted, me included, to say, I don't know what that means, build a church. Or we'd say, no one ever told me I was supposed to be building a church. Or we could say, well, we were honored to, but we don't know how to build a church. That would be stupid. (laughs) And that, like, but yet we've got this great commission. And we're not participating in it because, well, I don't really know what that means. I don't know how to do it. Or no one ever told me I was to do it. Listen, we can do it. You can do it. It's not super complicated. It's not very hard. So how can you live out the Great Commission? First, you've got to know what it is. I encourage you to memorize, it doesn't have to be verbatim, this is not Bible quiz, but to memorize to some extent, you know, to be able to paraphrase it, put in your own words, of the Great Commission. So Matthew, Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20, put it up here on the screen. Put this in your own words. Make disciples in all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to follow Jesus. Can you memorize that in some form or fashion? So if someone ever asks you in the future, if you're ever on Jeopardy, or you're playing Trivial Pursuit, or you're standing before our Heavenly Father, And he says, do you know what Jesus commissioned you to do? You'd be able to say, yeah, I do. Go and make disciples in all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, and teaching them to obey everything that Jesus taught. Do you know it? You've got to know it. You've got to know it. Somehow you've got to memorize that. Underline it in your Bibles. Take out a pen and take some notes. So the next question is, because if you've been coming to Restoration Church for uh, more than two weeks, you've heard it, you understand, but how do you do it? Let's talk about that for a little bit. This might be, you know, how how do you do this? Number one, I think you got to make some friends. Here's the challenge with being being following Jesus for a long time. So I've been following Jesus for nearly four decades now. But I've been going to church for over four decades. The challenge is, after a certain number of time, I don't know what that magic number is, but you start going to church for more than a decade, following Jesus for more than a decade, and in not very short time, all of your friends and all the people you know are other Christians. And it doesn't take very long for a church in every service in every Bible study, in every youth group event, in every kids' church event, for it to be only other Christians there. And we never find ourselves in any sort of interaction with people who don't know Jesus. You're gonna 
act out, you're gonna live out the Great Commission on your life, you gotta make some friends. Some of you, you recently came to know the Lord, you've been following Jesus for 25 minutes, you've been following Jesus for, uh, for a year, year and a half. Well, likely, you, you don't, all the people you're still hanging out with, all your family, I mean, likely you're still surrounded by a lot of people who don't yet know Jesus. But step number one, make some friends. Number two, live out the Great Commission. I'm gonna, the, the, number one might be hard for some of you, but number two is easy. Share your story. Two benefits to sharing your story. Um, an old-fashioned word is testimony. How did you start following Jesus? What did Jesus do in your life? Share that with other people. Two benefits. One, you don't need to know theology to tell others how you met Jesus. Second benefit, people may want to argue with you about the Bible, but it's hard to argue when you are telling people how your life was changed. When you say, I once was lost and now I'm found. People may just think you're crazy, but they can't really argue that. And so, if you're gonna share your story, we can tend to maybe leave out the important parts, or we get nervous, or we're worried about offending people. You don't have to be offended to tell people your story. You don't have to be offended to tell people your story. And people shouldn't be offended for you to tell them your story. All right, so tell your story. Um, tell them the before, tell them the moment, tell them the after. And I, I, you know, I remember with my kids when they, were, when they were younger, my two older ones when they were really young, uh, like four and five years old, and they were talking about bad guys and we're driving in the car and I said, daddy used to be a bad guy. And they're like, yeah, we could tell. No, they're, they're like, really? I'm like, yeah, but Jesus changed my life. What do you mean you were a bad guy? Well, I begin to tell them, I used to fight my sister who had a baby this week. I used to fight my sister. I used to, one time I stole something from Off Price Outlet. And I would tell them, but I gave my life to Jesus when I was your age. When I was like six years old, I gave my life to Jesus. And he changed me. And I'm not a bad guy anymore, he changed me. And now you guys get to know this guy and you get to have me as a dad because of what Jesus did in my life. Share your story. And you know what, I'd encourage you to be so bold. When other people at your workplace, at your family gatherings, at the Little League game, when you hear other people making fun of Jesus and making fun of Christians, I think that's an amazing time to share your story. Because they're gonna be so awkward. <laughs> they're gonna be listening intently. Like, oh, I can't even believe people believe in Jesus. You've been like, oh, I believe in Jesus. They're like, huh? But you're so normal. Well, listen, <laughs> let me tell you what happened to me. <laughs> let me tell you. Listen, I grew up going to church and believing all these things, but I won't forget the day. And then now following him ever since. And you can, in about 50 seconds, change someone's entire perspective about who God is and who Jesus is just by sharing your story. Now, don't just share your story. 
But we've got to learn how to share the gospel. We've got to learn how to share the gospel. How do we share the good news of Jesus? I'm going to give you the Nate Gagne. I want, you to me- I want you to write this down. I want you to memorize this. Because we're like, share the gospel. I don't know how to share the gospel. So tell me what the gospel is. What's the good news of Jesus? Tell it to me. We go into this, theolo- well, you know, because of because sanctification and atonement and presupposition and, uh, and, we, and, we, and we get lost. We're like, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. We think it's so confusing. Listen, it, it, it's not. It's not. I, I'm going to give you three short sentences. What, how many words? We, we have uh, nine words here to, for you to memorize and for you to use this to share the gospel with people. All right? This is important. Write this down. Take a picture. What are you waiting for? Uh, God wants you. Number one, he wants you. He created you. God wants you. Two, sin enslaves you. And we play around with sin. We're like, I love my sin. I don't want to get rid of my sin. How would I ever want to follow Jesus if I had to get rid of these sins? I love my sin. And that's true, you do. But what you don't realize is that um, it may be treating you right now, but it's got you captured. You're enslaved to it. And every single one of us is stuck in that sin. There is absolutely no way out. Except that Jesus rescues you. This is the gospel. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. Someone says to you in the future, help me understand what the gospel is. You're in, again, Bible quiz, or you're, someone's like, I just don't get it. We always say gospel. What is gospel? It's the good news of Jesus. Okay, good. Well, what's the good news of Jesus? God wants you. Sin enslaves you. Jesus rescues you. This is the gospel. And you've got you've to remember, if you could just memorize these nine words, all of a sudden you'll find yourself with opportunities to share the good news of Jesus all over the place. Well, I just don't get why you go to church. Well, I just don't get why we should go to church. I just don't get, I just don't get, I don't understand. I don't. Right here. Right here. God wants you. And this is something that is just mind-blowing to so many people. What do you mean God wants me? And you will... Just by those three words, you'll find people with tears in their eyes, in your lunchroom, at your cubicle, in the the Little League stands, uh, in in your driveway, as people are just un and overwhelmed by that idea that God will want them. So you share the good news with them. What do you do after that? And I think this is the next like stutter step for us. How do you help someone to then give their life to Jesus. This is not super complicated either, but it is something that can make us nervous and we're afraid of doing it wrong. And, and what, we, what we do in, I don't know how long we've done this, maybe the last 100 years, is we've helped people to make a prayer, to say a prayer, so they have a defining moment in their life. Because... Uh, Sometimes it's not always, you know, what we should do is water baptism. Hey, I want to follow Jesus. Perfect. Let's water baptize you. That's not always handy at the workplace. <laughs> um, 
but, but to not delay, to say, well, listen, let's take this moment. Let's pray a prayer. And back when I was in, in Sunday school, back when I was a kid, they taught us the ABCs of salvation. I'll share those with you because maybe you've never heard it because you haven't gone to church for four decades like I have. Um, so the first is, so you want to lead someone into prayer where they admit they're a sinner and that they need a savior. And so if you've never given your life before, you, I'm enslaved by sin. So there's sin in my life that I just can't get rid of on my own. You cannot get rid of it on your own. Not by going to church, not by being a good person, not by doing good deeds, not by giving money. There's only one way, and that's through the blood that, that Jesus shed on the cross. So you gotta admit, I'm a sinner, I need a savior. There's no way out except through Jesus. Then you believe that Jesus is the one who'll save you. You believe in Jesus, that he was crucified and resurrected. And then you confess that he is your savior, that he is your God. Admit, believe, confess. And confess always throw me off my whole life because I always think that's the part where they confess sin. No, that's the admission. Is you're confessing with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And you can do that with your workplace. You can do that on family vacate. You can do that all the time. So is that it? You get them the prayer prayer, done? You never talk to them ever again? Absolutely not, because the next part of this in the Great Commission is sharing your life. In the scripture we read, it said, make disciples. And that's not just get a, a couple check marks. Prayer, prayer one time, never talk to them again. And, um, but you're sharing your life with them. This is the making disciples with them. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, famous Christian, uh, said this, Christianity without discipleship is always Christianity without Christ. We've got to share our lives with people. We've got to, um, what we're doing is we're teaching people and showing others the process of becoming like Jesus and learning to live the Christian life. So we're becoming internally like him. And then externally, we're, we're doing things that Christians do. So it's a, you, you know, a, a few things. If you're going to disciple someone, you're going to make disciples, you're sharing your life. Things like forgiveness, generosity, prayer, Bible study, selflessness, purity, sobriety, empowerment, faith. Anybody else think of another thing? Holy, yeah, you just yell it out. But lots of different things. Worship. Lots of different things that we're, that we're learning on the process. We're learning throughout our life how to, how to have peace. How not to sin when we're angry. How to hear the voice of God. So many different things that we're learning. So we're teaching others. We're showing them how we're helping them to learn how this part of sharing life is discipleship. So what do I want you to do? I want you to start with your family this week. Today, uh, set up a dinner time this week, but I would say next seven days, try to figure out how you can do this. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to have dinner together, and I want you to say, I'm not sure if I ever told you guys my story. 
or just pretend, just be one of those old people who repeats the same story over and over again. <laughs> just go for it. Just say, have you heard this one before? And then don't stop until 30 minutes later and say, did you know that? You're like, yes. <laughs> Share your story. Share your story. Share your story. The before, the moment, the after. I would take that moment after you share your story, talk about have a conversation before the dinner's end, say, can I pray for you? Pray for them right there. If, you're, if the meal was really bad, you can start off by, can, can I pray for you that you don't get food poisoning and then add some stuff on it at the end. Pray for them. Then I want you to do this. Open a door for future conversations about faith. Say, I'm not trying to preach at you. I just want you to know, if you ever have questions about Jesus or God, you ever have questions about heaven, I want you, you can always, always ask me any questions you have. Easy. And you've started a process of making disciples within your family. Maybe the next week you do that with a coworker or a longtime friend or a neighbor. It's not a problem to share our story. You don't have to feel bad to share your faith. What, what, what Christians have historically done wrong is they tell other people what they're doing wrong. Hey, I follow Jesus, so I just want to point out all the horrible things you do in your life. <laughs> this is what we've been commissioned to do by Jesus. Again, this isn't about making Christians, but this is about saving others from hell. One of the things that we see in scripture that we understand is that there is an eternal life after this one. And those who have made the decision to follow Jesus spend an eternity in heaven, in a new heaven and a new earth, a future new heaven and new earth. Those who decide I will take care of my sins on my own, I don't need a savior. Well, in that final judgment, they receive, they, they then have to receive the punishment for that sin that Jesus was punished for on the cross. We believe that, we know that, we don't want people to go there. I don't care how evil they are. We do not want people to go there. In a moment, I'm gonna, I'm gonna show you. In 2016, I, I went to the movie theater to see a movie I knew nothing about. I knew it was a war movie, and so that was it. That was all I knew. I just... Hey, you want to go? I don't remember who I went with. What I do remember is crying deeply during the movie, feeling the presence of God in the midst of the violence of that movie, and God making connections to our church and our mission, just one more, and the Great Commission, and just revealing in a, in a, just revealing through this movie how important it is what we're doing and never to quit and never to stop.
The movie was a true story about a Christian man named Desmond Doss. He joined the military at the, at the American start of World War II with a desire to serve but not fight. He was part of uh, uh, Seventh-day Adventist Church and, and because of stuff in his life and, and things he believed and he didn't want to fight but he wanted to serve. And so he, he did join the military and he would never fire a gun in boot camp or in battle. I never even carried one. In boot camp and, and in the beginnings of being shipped overseas, he, this would cause him to be harassed and hated by his peers and by his military leaders, uh, one even trying to have him court-martialed, thrown in prison for not carrying a gun. Through all of that, he never caved in, he never relented, he stuck to his convictions. Well, fast forward to the end of the war, and during his time, uh, you, you know, other battles, one in Guam, I, I forget where the other one was, he earned two bronze stars, and then ultimately earning the Congressional Medal of Honor in October of 1945. I'm going to read to you, and it's maybe a little long, I'm going to check the time, I'm going to at least read to you a portion of this, of the words Harry Truman read about Desmond Doss, and, and why he was receiving the Congressional Medal of Honor. He was a company aideman when the 1st Battalion assaulted a jagged escarpment 400 feet high. As our troops gained the summit, a heavy concentration of artillery, mortar, and machine gun fire crashed into them, inflicting approximately 75 casualties and driving the others back. Private Das refused to seek cover and remained in the fire-swept area with the many stricken, carrying them one by one to the edge of the escarpment and there lowering them on a rope-supported litter down the face of a cliff to friendly hands. On May 2nd, he exposed himself to heavy rifle and mortar fire in rescuing wounded men 200 yards forward of the lines on the same escarpment. And two days later, he treated four men who had been cut down while assaulting a strongly defended cave, advancing through a shower of grenades to within eight yards of enemy forces in a cave's mouth, where he dressed his comrades' wounds before making four separate trips under fire to evacuate them safely. On May 5th, he unhesitatingly braved enemy shelling and small arms fire to assist an artillery officer. He applied bandages, moved his patient to a spot that offered protection from small arms fire, and while artillery and mortar shells fell close by, painstakingly administered plasma. Later that day, when an American was severely wounded by fire from a cave, Private Doss crawled to him where he had fallen 25 feet from the enemy position, rendered aid, and carried him 100 yards to safety while continually exposed to enemy fire. I'm going to keep reading. Just on, on May 21st, in a night attack on high ground near Shuri, he remained ex in exposed territory while the rest of his company took cover, fearlessly risking the chance that he would be mistaken for an infiltrating Japanese and giving aid to the injured until he himself was seriously wounded in the legs by the explosion of a grenade. Rather than call another aidman from cover, he cared for his own injuries and waited five hours before litter bearers reached him and carried him to cover. The trio was caught in an enemy tank attack 
and Private Doss, seeing a more critically wounded man nearby, crawled off the litter and directed the bearers to give their first attention to the other man. Awaiting the litter bearer's return, he was once again struck, this time suffering a compound fracture of one arm. With magnificent fortitude, he bound a rifle stock to his shattered arm as a splint and then crawled 300 yards over rough terrain to the aid station. Through his outstanding bravery and unflinching determination in the face of desperately dangerous conditions, Private Doss saved the lives of many soldiers. His name became a symbol throughout the 77th Infantry Division for outstanding gallantry far and above the call of duty. I want to share with you a scene from that movie that the Holy Spirit used in my life that day. This is a true story, and some of the scenes in the movie will be graphic, so don't feel bad if you want to listen and not watch. But as I sat in that theater that day with tears streaming down my face, I was reminded for God's purpose for my life for this church and for you. We have been given an assignment by God that is not optional. We've been given an assignment by God that is not safe. We've been given an assignment by God that saves and rescues people from dangerous and treacherous spiritual enemies. Will you join me and watch this clip from Hacksaw Ridge?
of all danger, what was his prayer? Lord, help me get one more. Church, because we're comfortable, because it feels like there's no serious threat to us, we can forget about our spiritual enemy, and we can be tricked into apathy. Our prayer as a church has been for the last 10 years and, and it, will continue prayer, it will continue prayerfully until Jesus returns. Just one more, Lord. Just one more, Lord. This is why we worship. This is why we study. This is why we repent. This is why we give. This is why we serve. That someone else would know who Jesus is, that you might know who Jesus is. King of kings and Lord of lords. God, who put on flesh and became one of us, that all who would know, that all, that anyone who would believe could have their sins forgiven. They could be adopted into his family and they could be given eternal life. This is who we are. And just one more, the Great Commission, it's not just for Restoration Church, and there are so many churches across the world taking that seriously, but we wanna make sure we're stepping into that Great Commission. We're receiving and living out the commission that God has for us. Will you close your eyes and allow me to pray for you? Jesus, we love you so much. Thank you for coming and dying in our place. Thank you for dying in my place. And I thank you for the, the people in my life who shared the good news with me. 
that God wanted me, that sin enslaved me, and that you would rescue me. And I thank you that when I called out to you as a six-year-old to save me, to be my savior and to be my God, you did just that. And that no matter who we are, no matter where we're done, what we've done, no matter what our background is, no matter what part of the world, no matter what is in our life, when we call out to you, Jesus, be my savior and my God, you rescue every single one of us. Jesus, I pray for another salvation today. Jesus, I pray for another salvation tomorrow. Jesus, I pray that you send another person in my life to share my story with, to share the gospel with. And God, the, the days I feel tired, I'll pray for you to, for strength. God, the, the days I, I feel like there's no connection, God, God, you'll bring those people to me. And then it doesn't matter what intimidation the enemy tries to put on us or put in our life, we will not stop. And we pray this all in your name, Jesus. Amen.